the conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody exclusive. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed. And England win on penalties. History in itself. You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yeah. Yes, he's back. No one, he's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get the Hello and welcome to episode 216 of the spitballing pod i'm luke byron joined as always by tom kennett jack harper and alex jones a couple of things on the agenda today nothing really after the weekend's results which may be a relief for tk but as i said last <laughs> week there's only so many times we can do what's up with liverpool is jose Mourinho too boring and how much money did frank lampard spend at chelsea so we've got something <laughs> a bit different this week at least We've got some football talk, one that's kind of a mix between to then blend us into some boxing and UFC talk as those are two of the biggest talking points this weekend. News of the week, though, to start us off, I will say uh, if I make any mistakes today or anything that can maybe be held against me, did have my COVID jab earlier, so that is a ready-made excuse for me if uh, if things get out of hand. If I maybe pronounce uh, Tuchel wrong or anything <laughs> like that. Nothing wrong with me so far. Alex did quite uh, harshly say if maybe some bad symptoms occurred on the podcast, then it could be good publicity for us. <laughs> He's got a point going along the line of if you if you turned into a zombie live on air. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I did say to Alex if I morphed into uh, Fat Frank, like the uh, <laughs> the Polyjuice <laughs> Potion on uh, Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> Oh, we can see there's a rather cruel joke to be made because they shift. <laughs> they do finally have a penalty, so uh, no more whinging from them. Hopefully, the Leng man and one of the worst tackles in the box you'll ever see. Um, You'd have to see that. News of the week. I say not a lot, which for all this to happen in a week is pretty impressive. But in the last couple of months, we did have some crazy weeks where we were having more news of the week than we were anything else. So. Anyway, put the chicken in the bag. Gunman steals food from Roscoe's house of chicken and waffles. Tim Allison attempted a till, quite literally took three meals and went. Fair play. Fair enough, I think. He's just a hungry bloke. And to be fair, if I had a gun and I was that hungry, some of the cues <laughs> that I see, I'm, I'm making that life choice. We've got... <laughs> We've got beef here in the West Ham game as Rice has nicked the penalty off the leg man. Did he try and fight for it? He's taken it out of Lingard's hands and he's just kind of stormed off in a huff. 
You'd have to see that to come forward. Literally watching it right now. I'm on delay. The 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 few mile earlier is I'm. I mean, McDonald's don't deliver to my house anyway. And then I get I, I get the email come through saying 99p fillet of fish Mondays. Just cruel. <laughs> you consider walking to it? Theresa Avenue. Yeah, I wouldn't that's... fancy it by the time I get there. <laughs> and it wouldn't be worth it by the time I got back. <laughs> my, mind you, I ordered KFC on Friday. It arrived in 15 minutes. Oh, mate, they're brilliant. Obviously, living in Abbeydale, I live just around the corner from it. And it's literally, if I press order, it's here in like 10 minutes. So, yeah, it's unreal. It's a bit scary, isn't it? The chicken's still clucking. Yeah. It's, it's better, I think I've had this chat with TK before, it's better seeing KFC being delivered that quickly than it is with a gloss grill where you press <laughs> the order and they say it's on the way within about five minutes. And you think, hmm. So gloss grill, I'm actually kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, don't slate them here. Yeah, yeah go careful. No, it's they... not gloss grill because I like gloss grill. I eat from gloss grill, but it's another well-known Piri restaurant in town, Southgate Street. Um, <laughs> does it rhyme with Woo Chachos? No, it doesn't. No. What I does it rhyme with? Uh, they usually condense F- into two uh, two initials. FJ. Uh, yeah. Woo, so woo yeah, I, I, I thought it might. It may be that one, <laughs> but we used to go in there, and they have these warm drawers filled full of juice, and they just kept the chickens in the warm drawer. Oh my god! So yeah, it wasn't even cooked. So we'd go in there at like eleven o'clock at night because we had nothing better to do when I was like eighteen. You'd ask for something, and you'd see him go around the back and just open this drawer with all this shit slopping around in it, pull it out, stick it on a plate, and give it to you. And it's well, honestly during the first lockdown when like everywhere was shut. I remember putting in our group chat that I'd ordered from there, and you and Troy were so like horrified. I actually went on the Just Eat Live chat and I didn't know what to say. And I said to them, uh, things have been brought to my attention, which now make me uncomfortable to order from this establishment. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and they cancelled the order. But, um, eventually, I think they I had to take like a three pound cut. Um, for, and I was like, OK, this is worth it. Um, just as well. Two hours later, they still turned up and the food looked horrific. And it, it free food to for me to not even even look at it, it was bad. Yeah, I, to get a that, free can of tango apple there. I I know for a fact that what they would have done if they hadn't turned out, they'd have put your food back in the warm drawer and just left it. Oh, <laughs> someone else ordered what you did. But we went there, and then every time the next day, we'd just be stuck to the toilet for. It was good back in the day. But that's the thing. It, Before the emergence of GG and I, some other I don't players. Think, I don't think it ever was good. I just think it was different to what was on offer. And all of a sudden, Perry Perry just sprung up in Gloucester and it was done to a higher standard everywhere else. But yeah, Food Junction is literally just... Wood Junction, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> we'll take them as a sponsor. We won't think twice. <laughs> Despite everything we've just said. <laughs> yeah, we're still waiting for a sponsor. I mean, I remember Sean tried getting us one in the early days, but it was... It was something mattresses and then we didn't get anything unless people used the code and it was like a code unless if you spend like 200 quid i thought our uh, listenership probably aren't coming to us for mattresses spitballing and a mattress seems like a horrible <laughs> sort of combo as well it just sounds 
I think we considered it at the time, didn't we? Because we just thought it would sound a bit more professional just recording a little advert. Yes, yes. No, we didn't go for it. That radio show that we we used to be... (laughs) Remember we had to record an advert for them? Yes, I do remember that. (laughs) What what, what was the advert? It was a proper cheesy one, like... Yeah. I'm I'm Tom Kennett. Yeah. You're it listening is, to Spitballing yeah. Pod. I'm Chris Smalling and I'm Phil Jones. <laughs> With some little music in the background. Like we cover sport on both sides of the pond. <laughs> good times, they were good times. My mum uh, asked me to order some food for her on New Year's Eve. Um, she wanted a curry. Usual place was um, shut that uh, rhymes with uh, Cock Express. Um <laughs> <laughs> Cock express. Uh, <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> uh, uh, so they were shut. Um and then uh Walty Hut, they were um, they weren't accepting orders either. Oh, our rhyming has gone out the fucking window. We're, just, we're only rhyming one of the words now. And um I said that like a place a, a, Place um, like that is literally <laughs> going to be like run off its heels on New Year's Eve. You had to get that order in early. So anyway, eventually, um, I can't remember where it was that she ordered from. Well, I would just give their full name because they turned up like three hours later, not even an exaggeration, like quite literally three hours later after paying 25 quid for a curry. My pizza arrived in, in nice time. Um, and you can tell that they felt bad and it wasn't going to be good by the fact they... Um, barely got out of the car they just dashed it at the door and had driven off by the time the door had even been opened <laughs> like a drive-by <laughs> and then just eat were closed over new year and then when i went to complain on the monday they said you've got a 48 hour window to complain with us if you don't complain in that time it was like their own statute of limitations like you missed <laughs> a boat so didn't get any money back from either and they had a ropey curry nightmare Anyway, that's the first. That's only the first bit of news. Um, man turns uncle's skeleton into a guitar. <laughs> Remember years back, we had the one where um, someone had died, and then they asked for the skin to be taken off their body, with, so they could keep their tattoos framed in the house. Jesus I don't Christ. remember that. No, it might have been before your time. It was. It was on the same episode that we did. Um, we went through all the weird like um, addictions people would have, like Maury back in the day. And there was someone that was uh, um, ate their like grandma's ashes, and oh. then they had to try and quash the habit. So they would just they would just eat out of ashtrays because it was the closest thing they could get. Fuck me. Good times. <laughs> um, Court orders man to donate sperm to estranged wife. He says that she has no time for a second marriage. Use it or lose it. <laughs> um, Sydney real estate agent accused of Viagra fueled samurai sword attack. <laughs> He's going around hacking heads with a massive. <laughs> you don't expect that from Sydney. If that was Florida, we wouldn't, bat, we wouldn't have batted an eyelid. Yeah. <laughs> It's just expected of them, guys. <laughs> uh, butt plug bandit given suspended sentence. <laughs> butt plug bandit. <laughs> Is this like Home Alone 8? <laughs> <laughs> Probably be Troy's new favourite. <laughs> uh, 
man built 11 DIY speed bumps outside his house after getting constantly annoyed by the vehicle noise. I feel they did that on Malcolm in the Middle. They did. If yeah. the, uh, with the uh, American Muscle Guy car. That was That's it, yeah. One. That was the one. That was a great show, that was. Great all show. On, all on 4OD four, four as well, or was it 5OD or whatever it is? Frankie Mooney's peaked in Agent Cody Banks. I don't hear any different. Yeah, yeah, I think he did, and that's where he stayed. Yeah, Hilary Duff in that as well. Um, £40 block of cheddar cheese is selling online, as in the weight, not a £40 cheese. But if you want a £40 block of cheddar cheese, you can buy I mean, it online. I would, I would go for it. I just think storage is a bit of a, of a ball ache on I love yeah. cheese that much. I reckon I can eat half of that Christ. in the evening. But you get those videos that those pages like twisted and tasty and things where it's like, we've made this Big Mac that can feed eight people. It's like, why? Put <laughs> it. <laughs> Just give them eight Big Macs. <laughs> this chicken nugget that can feed a family of ten. <laughs> uh, lion enters hotel in India by leaping over the wall. Imagine chilling by the pool and seeing a lion leap over. Um, Coast Guard rescues Trio from deserted island where they lived on rats and coconuts for a month. Oh boy. How long on coconuts do you last before you look at the rats and go, you know what? (laughs) I wouldn't like to be on there with you boys. You might look at me and start thinking, hmm. He's got a bit extra spare there. Yeah, you are you are the first to go. <laughs> I wouldn't get too comfortable. <laughs> Once they've eaten me, you're probably going to be second. Yeah, but because we don't have a fridge to keep you fresh, we'd have to keep you alive and just cut bits off you. <laughs> I think, Jack, knowing that you'd be second, we'd have to team up and tell them, boys, look, we're bigger than you. You want to watch it. The thing is, there's not a lot of meat on anyone else, so... <laughs> It's like, eat will be eaten, I suppose. Imagine the disrespect, though, if you've tucked into TK and then we're still hungry for more after. <laughs> like, he's not even fulfilled a meal for us. <laughs> Was it worth it? Was it worth it, boys? That's like, you know when I talk about having regret after eating McDonald's? Where I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I eat that? I, that, that's what I'd have. I'd be, why have I done this? <laughs> a week down the line, you're thinking, I quite fancy yeah. a chat with TK now. I, I'm a bit angry. <laughs> Chicken TK cannibalism. cannibalism is a new angle for the pod. I like it. I think you just, oh, you've just missed Jack say chicken TK masala. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> word. Quite pleased with that, actually. I am. We'll end on that. Uh, Delivery rider fulfills customer's request to throw hot tea on ex-boyfriend. That is amazing. Wow. Is that if you're really... a delivery driver, you, you, you probably that spice up your day a bit. I, I saw someone like trying to have fun. Where it's, I think someone was being racist on Twitter. And as, as usual, someone found their like, home address. And the, the worst thing the pandemic's really done is that you have to pay up front with a card now because you can't pay with cash payments so that old gag of sending pizza to someone's house unpaid 
think that's gone forever. <laughs> um, someone did. Six, someone four. did order a prostitute to his house, though. That, that was good. <laughs> Obviously, they still take prostitute in a pizza. That's a uh, yeah. two for Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Just six feet wide, London's skinniest house is up for sale for one point three million. Bargain. Like a good TV. And <laughs> um, finally, uh, Salma Hayek is making a new comedy show about talking boobs for HBO Max. Of course she is. Will you be tuning into that, Alex? Mm, unsure. <laughs> unsure. If we weren't recording, I know his answer would be different. <laughs> anyway, on to the sports. We've had a lot to unpack there. As I said, something a bit different this week. I was inspired during the Spurs game to come up with this topic. And that was largely Elkar Gundogan's second goal of the game where Davinson Sanchez is sat down, left headfirst on the pitch. And I must have seen that picture about 100 times on the timeline then in the next 10 minutes. And it was one of those things that just took that from being a good goal to being a great goal. And so what we're going to do here is go through all the tangibles that make a good goal a great goal. So, who wants to start us off? I think how many players that you've mugged off in the process. I think if you look back at the IU goal for Crystal Palace, I can't remember who it was against, but it was just a sequence of events. That The chip over the keeper was, was right, good. West Ham. I think it was West Ham. The chip over the keeper was good, but... Leading up to it was even better. And you, like, the commentators, it's almost like they're celebrating in one voice, in like one tone. So they go, oh, oh <laughs> that kind of celebration. I think well, that makes a great goal. I think the, the immediate build-up to it. Well, that was in stoppage time as well, wasn't it? And the moment obviously is a big thing. Because 100%. if you look at, say... Uh, Federico Mikado's goal against uh, Aston Villa. Yeah. Good goal, obviously. I mean, regardless of the situation, that is a good goal. But the debut boosts that up slightly. And the fact that it's in stoppage time does take that from being good to great when you look back at it. Yeah. Lucas Moura against Ajax is probably another example of that because you'd probably be cursing the fact that he's been able to get the shot away, how many players are around him. But the moment there... I mean, he could have he could have scuffed it from two yards out, and that's going to be looked at by Spurs fans as being a great goal, regardless. Mm. I think the aftermath as well has a big point. So, like you said, if it's in the last minute of a game, and all the other players just hit the deck, head in hands, that makes it a great goal as well. well I guess you got the celebration in there as well. Yeah, the celebration can be, for example, the. And this was doing the rounds the other day because Man United tweeted it. The Cantona goal, for example. Yeah. Is, I reckon a good 50% of that goal is his celebration. It kind of makes it. Yeah, I agree. Because... It's a great goal, but his is, celebration yeah. of it just tops it off. Yeah, definitely. Their comparison of it to the Fernandes one was just so tenuous. Yeah. <laughs> I saw even like fans were just tweeting on this. Like, These two goals are nothing alike. <laughs> Yeah, Troy sent me a picture that they did of 
like a comparison of the celebrations. It was it's not that unusual to see like several players like running together. Yeah. You don't need like a comparison picture for this. Um, I've just watched the goal back, and it, it's it's by no means um, a great goal. I just weirdly always remember uh, watching Freddie Sears scoring on his debut for West Ham <laughs> solely because he did the Shearer celebration after. And in my head, it was a better goal. And I've just watched it back and he hits it into the keeper. It comes out and he kind of dives and headers it into an open net. So that's not really what, what we're talking about here. So despite having it on my notes, I probably should have watched it back first. We're looking more, say... Uh, the Cantonal one, as you said, TK, where good goal anyway, and then the celebration does take it up a notch. We said a similar thing with a lot of Berbatov's ones, didn't we, as well? Yeah. The sort of nonchalance with the celebration was kind of half of the game. I like the, the Why Always Me goal as well from Mario Balotelli. <laughs> that, that wasn't a good goal, but that celebration made it one of the greats that you all look back sure. on. You along said with, there along that. that Bayor against Arsenal. Yeah, well, that's what you said there about being low-key, Tiki. I mean, the opposite, just going mental, is just as endearing and can take it up a notch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, like, when I think of, like, the mental ones, like, kind of the Troy Deeney versus Leicester in the Watford playoff semi-final second leg, where he just jumps into a crowd invasion and you just lose sight of him because he's just <laughs> in part of the crowd. People running around with flares and all sorts. I mean, that was that's probably... For all of the moments that we just said, the greatest goal ever scored. I'm going out on a limb and saying it. Christ. Not Ramirez then. I mean, Ramirez is the best in the Champions League. Yeah, it wasn't in the Champions the League. It wasn't in the Champions League. Uh, um, so, so I, I think um, a good way to go as well is it is when it's a a unique or a standout athletic feat in the respect yeah. that. These guys, you know, that we're watching on the screen, it's sometimes easy to forget, you know, when you go into the mindset of, oh, God, I can do that or I'll have a go at that, is when you see a goal and you just look at it and go, yeah, I can try that in a million years. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, some ones that strike into mind is some, like the ones that are maybe a little bit technically harder than you would first appreciate. It's when you watch it back or when you know what you're watching. Uh, an example would be uh, Van Persie's header in the World Cup for the Netherlands. Yeah, I that I exact one down. Yeah, yeah, that one. So, it's so, so difficult to do. Like, a, a you know, a, somebody who isn't really into the sport wouldn't necessarily appreciate that for what it was. But to try to pull that off um, and then you can use him again as another example would be uh, the one to win the league with United uh, first time. Um, when he was at, yeah, it was, yeah, when he was at United that was first a great time goal, on the volley. Regardless to be fair. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's it's those it's those type that's that type of athletic ability that remind us like yeah yeah these guys are professional athletes as what well, you know at the at the top of their game. Well, the one against Spain though, people were absolutely trying. That wasn't one where I think people were saying I'm not trying that. There was plenty of people trying that. I don't know how many went well. Yeah, not very successfully, I don't think. No, he had a, a knack for the athletic. His his uh, one against Charlton is one of them. When you get that kind of finish where that's then the reference point for any goal like that. Mm. The one where it's, it's still such a weird way that he caught it because he's almost in the air before the ball just kind of lands on his foot. 
to volley it. Like he doesn't swing through it. His foot's already outstretched and it goes top in and then even greater where um, he used to have almost like uh, the little kind of structures uh, in front of the uh, lower tier that he jumped on and then he's aloft in front of all of the uh, away fans. So that then takes that up a notch, but that was a great goal regardless. Winning is quite a, a key one because Liverpool have several examples of this in their games. Um, I don't have fond memories of Theo Walcott's run against Liverpool in the Champions League purely mm. because two minutes later I know what I know, I know what happened. And so, as much as yeah, it's a nice thing to look back on, it doesn't really feel like a great goal rather than just being a good goal. If you look at um, in the same game that we watched at mine where you had Ben Teke scoring that bicycle kick against United, which was ridiculous. <laughs> and then you compare that to the reaction to Martial's to win the game for them a few minutes later. It's night and day. And you remember the goals differently, purely because one was a winner and one was purely just to pull a goal back. Yeah, Tyler kind of shared his hand there as well, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> It's a good point that the commentary can take it over the edge as well in terms of, you know, you mentioned, obviously, Jack's mentioned the Dini one, the Aguero one. They're obviously, the main thing about them is the context on which they're scored is what makes them great and the ramifications of what this goal means. But the commentary do make them kind of immortal, the Aguero, the Dini. Yeah. Obviously, the, the Gerard one against Olympiacos, for example, I think Andy Gray's commentary kind of takes that from being what is a very good strike to unbelievable because of his commentary. Someone put uh, a yeah. clip of the commentary there over Harry Winks doing one in this first game and losing <laughs> uh, midweek last week. It is unreal. <laughs> I, I, think as w- I think as well, um, like when, when you think about it, one goal that stands out in my head is, um, so do you remember the, the whole Wayne Rooney boxing saga? Yeah. Where, mm. Yeah. So uh, obviously it's another sort of celebration that made it, but, it was the story beforehand, the story before the match and sort of like him getting the goal, doing that celebration. It's one that stands out in your mind. I don't think it was particularly, you know, a a particularly amazing finish. I can't remember what, I can't even remember the goal off the top of my head, but I just remember the occasion, the moment, celebration and the story. No, the the bicycle was the uh, outstretched arms. You ran to the corner. Yeah, yeah, outstretched arms and in the corner. Yeah, but again, another really good example of uh, of that. But yeah, like the story of the match and the build up, um, and the weight of the politics going on behind the scenes at the time can often make a goal great in it, different ways. It takes something off it, doesn't it? When you see the replay back and um, it's taken a deflection, you want nothing but net and you want nothing but a clean path the whole way through. Um, when you see one that you think is a scorcher and it's taken a deflection to take it away from the keeper mm. or even just a slight nick, it does take away from it slightly. And just having the net bulging is one thing that does take it up a notch. When you see... Very... Sorry, go on. Even the net shape can have a big factor in that. When, when you've got um, the, the nets kind of tightly bound in where it is going to really fling back out of the net afterwards. One that bounces out, yeah, is great. And also very rare, but one way you actually can hear it, hear the yeah. net is great. I, I don't know why um, one that sticks in my mind is Harlan last year. I remember he scored one in the Champions League. I can't remember who was against, but you heard it. it was brilliant. Similar with um, 
Fabinho with his one against Man City. You just heard it, and it's just it's a different sort of feeling. I guess similar mm-hmm. sort of thing as when one clangs in off the woodwork. Yeah, it makes it extra better. I was going to say when when a ball's been absolutely spanked. And the Yeboah. Um, yeah, the Yeboah Yeboah ones, to be fair, yeah. were like great anyway. <laughs> yeah, but it does take it up a notch, doesn't it? Yeah, the, yeah, for sure. As yeah. he's being always the go-to, isn't he? Being a fairly average footballer actually also helps as well. For some reason, just that, that <laughs> contrast of your footballing abilities with the goal is perfect. Yeah, yeah, we've had any... plenty of goals from like deep. Wilson Palacios is one who I always remember doing it. <laughs> when you said about um, like the sound of the net, you used to always see more microphones behind the goal. I don't know if it was just because of there being fans there and picking that up before they instead didn't want to hear some of the things the fans were chanting, but you don't see that so much anymore. You used to see almost three behind there every game, and now you get one if you're lucky. Because mm. they did that with the UFC, didn't they? And you can see it in boxing more now where they do mic up almost like the outside of the apron so you can hear the footsteps and you can hear someone really thudding down when it does yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly now when there's no crowd. So you'd think it'd be a better option now to start micing up um, all the things like the net so you can hear things a bit more. You still hear, don't know how many of you prefer fake crowd noise. What, in the football? Yeah. Oh, I, it's much better than without it, honestly. It's, I don't I know how just, you watch I, all I, of them with no crowd noise. I like hearing the people shout, particularly in games where you've got horrible defending going on. I do for about five minutes, and then I'm thinking this sounds like a training match. That's quite cool, I think. Um, I think those were the ones I had down, unless anyone has any more that spring to mind for them. Probably covered what I have. Yeah. Anything else before we carry on? Uh, no. All right. I, I was just going to say, I, Go on. The, the person who scores it, so if they got a history with the club they're scoring against, that makes a very average goal a great goal, in my eyes. Yeah. Like City, so like Frank Lampard against Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is a memorable done goal. Yeah, He's done yeah. It is a brilliant goal, and then he just stands there dejected. It's like Dennis Law when he scored against... He wasn't United. dejected. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it. it's like Dennis Law when he scored against Man United and scored the goal to send him down. He's kind of felt sick. Kepler's starting tonight, by the way, which is interesting. <laughs> He's not playing. He's not playing an old club, so you you can rule out him scoring. Maybe in the wrong end. Yeah, throw one in. Is Chilwell starting? Chelsea's most important player. No, he's not. Right. So you're sending for him, and he's sent How for are they going to cope? <laughs> um, if we carry on, then so looking as I always do, ESPN and all the likes to see what others are considering to be the biggest uh, sporting stories of the weekend. And one of them was uh, Nick Kyrgios and Djokovic continuing their feud that they have, despite very rarely playing each other. And as far as I could tell, Kyrgios does actually have a winning record against Djokovic, um, which is impressive in itself. Kyrgios, for no reason at all, came out for a doubles match in the week um, and just did Djokovic's heart celebration to the lack of crowd there. 
And then when they asked him why, they just he just quite up front said, "Yeah, well, I don't like him, so anything I can do to wind him up." <laughs> he also did another interview where he called him a spacker, which is a very old reference, a very old insult, which I've not heard for years. He said, uh, "Any bloke that's going to go party around topless uh, during the middle of a pandemic, um, any spacker like that isn't going to be uh, calling me an idiot, that's for sure." Um, so they continued theirs and then the question here is what are the greatest rivalries in sports today so we're not talking about Arsenal United back in the day regardless of whether you think maybe that is a a rivalry so much now and all the ones that nostalgia comes into it we're quite literally talking the here and now I did see a tweet recently saying that the biggest game in the Premier League now every year is Liverpool City and the rivalry there. And I would agree. I know United fans usually do then chip in saying, no, no, it's, it's, it's us against them. But I'd consider Liverpool and City to be a bigger rivalry than Liverpool United there. I don't know how yeah, you feel, it, TK. <laughs> well, it's, it, it definitely is. Well, because, but it's, it's for different reasons, isn't it? They're the two have been anyway, not, not so much issue. The two yeah. best teams, so they've actually got something to play for. Whereas, but, yeah, there isn't necessarily the needle there, I don't think, although that is increasing. But it hasn't had the obviously the traditional thing. Who do you of, enjoy a win over more? Who do I enjoy a win more over more? Yeah, because that's probably where it comes down to, isn't it? So I might be completely way off to flip the question on his head, though. Who do I hate losing to more? Now, there, there is a quite, yeah. quite a clear answer. Because this could be the difference in Liverpool City is a bigger game. You could say there's a bigger rivalry between Liverpool United. Mm, I would be very surprised if TK turns around and said he would rather lose to United than City or would rather beat City than United. Yeah, see, obviously, the problem I'd, is, I'd hate losing to United, but obviously the ramifications of beating City are, are, over, the last, again, over the last couple of years have been bigger than if we beat Man United. They've just kind of been also runs. Mm. I disagree. I think I, I don't think any of the the Liverpool versus City matches that we've had in the last two years have been incredibly decisive enough. Like one you of them don't? was a draw, was wasn't it? I'm pretty fair. sure. That was not necessarily paying to how much your rivalry is, though. Yeah, but I, I just a couple of years ago they did win the league over us by a point, and yeah. that game was felt like one of them where quite literally every throw in felt like mm. they were well within their rights to be campaigning for it and going mental when they felt it should have gone the other way. It's one of the I saw someone say it's the highest quality football match in a modern era. It was pretty incredible. Mm. I, I, I don't it, know. I don't, I don't know for me. I just don't see it still. I just don't. I, I, it, I accept that they're the best two teams in the league at the moment going at each other, but I don't see it as a, as a rivalry. I just see it as no. the best. I wouldn't say, put it, I'll, I'll put it like this. I don't see it as a more of a rivalry than, let's say, the top two F1 teams that have the fastest car this year Jesus. going at each other. <laughs> well, I, well, I don't because it, it's I, like there's, I think, a rivalry that has to be a lot more history with a rival. Like to, to say it's a rivalry, there has to be a lot more history. And for Liverpool and City, it's only been the last couple of years. Yeah, I, and even I agree. this it year. It doesn't, it doesn't, 
it doesn't have the even story, if, but it's like yeah, it's growing as well. Though there is a social and, media beef that is helping grow yeah. the rivalry. I think. I, I would, I, I, would he, I would say as well if you look at Man United Arsenal throughout like the nineties into the early two thousands, they that was a massive rivalry then, but that's not a rivalry now. It's a it's a social media rivalry now more than it is on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. But then that was based on them being the two best teams quite yeah. comfortably. And now yeah. neither of them are, are near to that. And there, let's face it, was... it stemmed from the beef between the managers as well, which you don't really have anymore. If Klopp yeah. and Guardiola were really like hated each other, I think it would help the Liverpool City thing become more of a rivalry. As it is, it's all very nicey nice, isn't it? Which I, I found actually when you ask this question, everything is a little bit nicey nicey now, which is it strange. is. Yeah, it doesn't do have to be the... like a heated rivalry. No, no, this that's just... why there's the phrase, isn't there? You can have a competitive rivalry, which is what I feel Liverpool City is. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But that's the distinction, isn't it? A competitive rivalry and a yeah. Whereas Liverpool Man United, let's face it, over the last over our lifetimes, it's rare that the teams have been neck and neck going for it. And I will acknowledge that's generally been one way. It's generally been that yeah. Man United have been a good team, but and Liverpool have been not so good. Whereas the last couple of years, it's flipped. So, but yet they still have you know Fergie calling it the biggest game each year. It's not doing that because of position, is he? Just there's a natural rivalry there. The less we hear from him, the better, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, in, in football, because I always think that Arsenal Spurs is one, but I am very much seeing that from inside of the bubble. So I don't know if people outside of Arsenal fans and Spurs fans see it as like that. I think it probably helps that usually... Up until we we now both have managers that don't really play that kind of football, but <laughs> usually of all the derbies you were going to have, that was the most guaranteed to be a good game, which which did add to it. But I don't know if others feel that's such a rivalry outside of uh, because it was one sided for quite a while, and then the less one sided it's been, probably the worse the games have got. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because Back in the day, Spurs would go for it against Arsenal because they had nothing to lose, no pride to lose, really. It was just <laughs> it was try and win it all costs, whereas Arsenal was kind of like... the, But it wasn't that much of a contest, whereas now, because they're in or there or thereabouts around the same positions in the league, Spurs are a little bit higher, there's more to lose from both teams, so... It's, the games aren't as open, the games aren't as free-flowing either. And I suppose with the management that they've got there now, they're not going to be. I mean, they, they feel as big for me. I just don't know how they feel for someone that outsider. doesn't have a stake in the two teams. Yeah, I I think they're, as you say, until this year, they're a rivalry that you look forward to because the games are normally going to be great. And they both, because they can both score, but both also have a bit of jeopardy about them or anything could go wrong. But that's not yeah. necessarily... I'm not watching it, like you said, for uh, an a incredible rivalry that I'm really invested in. I just think they could it's, be... A, it's a it's like the Wenger versus um, Redknapp years. Like, Crikey. What are you, you going to say versus Pardew years? Now that's a rivalry. <laughs> yeah. No, like, you've got, you got Lennon on the wing, you've got Bale, and then you've got Walcott the back-to-back five twos yeah exactly like space goals 
creativity. Like it was the funnest derby to watch because they both all then as well. Yeah, so it's like the funnest derby to watch because it was so open and goals galore. Whereas, like looking at other kind of rivalries, teams would shut up shop against each other, which is a lot like Liverpool Man City. It's kind of like. In recent years, Liverpool Man United certainly. Yeah, Liverpool United is repeatedly almost always. Well, yeah, in terms of the actual game. But like usually with Man City Liverpool, it's because whoever loses essentially loses the title. Essentially, not this season, but the last two seasons, it was almost like they're too scared to lose that game. It's like, right, we'll settle for a draw this game and then just hope they lose to someone else. Don't forget uh, the North London Derby 2018 was our match of the year that year, if you can remember. No, it wasn't. Absolutely not. Nobody <laughs> voted for that. It was, wasn't it, TK? I don't know why you're saying this. It Just sounds like something it. I would go for. In the Spafters. Pathetic. Pathetic. I'll tell you um, one rival that's sort of been revived um, in a good way in the last year or so is uh, AC Inter particularly as the Italian clubs uh, were sort of, as particularly those two clubs weren't what they were in, you know, years of years gone past. But just that, obviously, Ibrahimovic v Lukaku, that mm. sort of, you know, it's just you revived like Ibrahimovic, a bit. don't you? Who, me? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I don't hate him and I don't like him. He's just, I, I, I accept him for what bastard. he is. <laughs> I hate him. Who, me or Ibrahimovic? <laughs> Ibrahimovic. Uh, we're not talking Arsenal Spurs today. So uh, yeah. someone actually painted a mural outside the San Siro of um, Ibra and Lukaku there head to head, but they've changed it. So it's uh, Lukaku kissing Ibrahimovic on the top of the head and they've painted that outside the San Siro. Oh. We mentioned fo- football rivalries, obviously. Celtic Rangers is one where I don't think any of us profess to really have an interest in Scottish football, but you would wake up and make sure you do stick on Celtic Rangers over uh, even a Premier League game that's on at the same time, purely because of the heat of the rivalry. We'll say, you're saying with the, uh, obviously it's current, uh, did watch it this year, and obviously with no fans, that game is just a pretty garbage game. (laughs) Because obviously the intensity of the fans stuff is... I don't know, at least 50% of the reason I'm watching, seeing maybe Morelos might lose his head. Whereas without it, it's two teams that obviously hate each other, just aren't quite as good as our teams down here. What about Gerard kissing the camera, though? Well, that was before, wasn't it? And the, and the yeah, fans were there. That's that still in the behind closed doors. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> just him going absolutely mental <laughs> in, in a silent stadium. Rivalries in sports, I mean, if you as a promoter can manufacture one in a, in a combat sport, then that's worth your weight in gold, which is why we see so many uh, that quite literally are manufactured for the sake of it. Uh, I said that it, it's been four years since Hey Bellew, which is crazy. Mm. Um, and that was quite literally sold by Bellew making a fool of himself, pretending he was going to jump out the ring. <laughs> And then a bit of a press conference there and people are buying to it, regardless of whether it was deemed a mismatch at the time. You get a bit of bad blood. And McGregor-Khabib is one of the greatest rivalries we've had in recent times in combat sports. It it was very one-sided. Doesn't look like we'll be getting a second, which is probably for the best. But in terms of genuine hatred, which is all we really asked for in one like this, that really did have it all, despite Connor trying to plead that it was just business. 
Yeah, I was, I was trying to look across the sort of landscape now for a, a current USC rivalry. We're kind of struggling, aren't we? Obviously John with, Jones, DC, which is the other one, but then you've got one that's retired there as well. That, that's what I mean. So he's, he's obviously out of the picture. Jones Adesanya could be, if either of them fancy yeah. sort of going at it. Obviously, if Izzy gets the bout, I'm sure that will quickly become on the agenda. If they were ever going to fight each other, Till and Perry could be actually great, just because... They've just posted a matey matey uh, Instagram live yesterday. Is it? That's a shame because uh, yeah, I did feel like Till will just keep goading him, and Perry's the sort of bloke who, well, I was about to say he's a loose cannon. That's probably been very kind to him. Yeah, but uh, you know, someone who could respond in a way you wouldn't predict. We've had Damian Lillard's having a rivalry with half the NBA, Russell Westbrook in particular, and then more recently we've had uh, Paul George and Patrick Beverly. His thing with Pat Bev was great. I thought that was a, the him and CJ posting about it when they went out of the playoffs was yeah brilliant. That's we need to see more of that in the NBA and I'll, I'll take it over here as well. Yeah, because like I said, sort of pretending to be each other's mate and stuff is uh, sort of painful. Well, you, there was you saw such a big thing made in. Uh... The pre-game between Leeds and Arsenal yesterday, Leeds do that podcast, obviously, where they get a player on each week. And um, Patrick Bamford said, oh, Alioski said he's looking forward to seeing his mate Pepe at the weekend after he got him sent off in the home game. And then such a thing was made of it on Twitter by Alioski. Obviously, had a stinker of a game, <laughs> got dragged off and had to walk past Pepe. And while the game was going on, they put the camera on Alioski just because he was walking past him to see if Pepe was going to do anything. Yes. Yeah, don't think he has that about him though, so he just <laughs> yeah, no, don't feel had a smile on his that. face and kept his head down. The, uh, but we said, didn't we, when it happened a few years ago when Carl Walker did Yeah. I mean, a pretty obscure tweet, not exactly calling anyone that they out too much. And such a big thing got made of it. Did he have to take it down? I think I can't remember this. So, anyway, he deleted it pretty swiftly. Yeah, yeah. so you think, you know, it's ridiculous. They should be able to should be able to have a bit of back and forth. And again, leading back into why Liverpool and Man City aren't as big a rivalry as they maybe could have been. Things like that would have helped. Well, Jose's tried it to his credit since he's come <laughs> since he's come back into the league. Yes, he's tried it with four, five, maybe six managers, and I think everyone quite like you get told as a kid, just don't feed into it, and they're going to be more annoyed. <laughs> By that fact, no one's biting on it. <laughs> literally nobody, because him and Pep's called a rivalry. I mean, it's pretty one-sided when you look at the numbers, and it's doing no favors uh, with this Spurs team against this City team. So Jose will keep trying, but him and his players is a bigger rivalry than he's had uh, on the pitch with any of the, on the dugout with any of the managers. I think like that skullduggery age of Ferguson, skullduggery. So Rafa word Benita, you, I, the, I, I knew that. I knew that word would. Uh, what you're was it? You you said the last couple of weeks that always gets me. Is a phrase, and I can't think what it is. Oh, what is it? Don't worry, carry on. Yeah. Harbinger, isn't it? Harbinger. You're only ever using that if you talk about an apocalypse. There's never any other weird time you're going to use harbinger. <laughs> That is a great word, though. <laughs> One of my favourites. Um, but yeah, the kind of skullduggery uh, that used to be rife in the Premier League with Alex Ferguson, 
Rafa Benitez, Jose Mourinho. That 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 was a golden era. Tuning into press conferences, thinking what they're going to say about their counterpart at another club. Whereas now it is just kind of Pep and Klopp love each other. Mm. Frank, I don't think they do. I mean, they do usually say something that's subtle enough where the other one sees it. It's not really up, enough. To we do don't it. want we don't want subtlety, do we? We want to no, straight right. out Kevin Keegan style. Exactly. Yeah. I want a Rafa Benitez facts rap. That's <laughs> what I want. That that's exactly. Whereas now it is just kind of, oh, well, they're a very good team, and you know, well, got, we don't want to hear this. Blame the press people. because the same press that we we know out of them then complain when they do do it. So yeah, that's true. Um, I, want this, I want to hear Clark call Pepper Balkan. That's that's what I want to hear. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> any more before we get on to uh, the combat sports? I did wonder if either you were going to bite at my uh, topics list saying Arsenal leads his tiki-taka back, but unfortunately none of you did. I looked at it and I thought, you know what, he's trying to get a rise out of me. Maybe a Jose. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not getting it. Is but it back? Is tiki-taka back? <laughs> <laughs> I saw it and I just literally, just the start, the classic Star Wars meme, it's a trap! It just came in. I just <laughs> knew. All right. Well, on that note, then, if uh, Jack, we've got you done in good time for uh, Chelsea. Yeah, happy days. Can't wait. To won't see have you. your missus complaining at me on Twitter for taking up two nights of your week and making her be silent. <laughs> I mean, that's five de- five nights for me. I just tell her that. I have she will be happy. We've got face off this week. So, Alex, before you go, um, already watched it. Watched we've it got face off and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon this week. Well, <laughs> real, real easy one for me, this, because I haven't seen either of them. So, <laughs> so which one are you not picking? Be... Um, who's in the face-off? I'll have to go Nicholas off Nicholas Cage and John Travolta. For fuck's sake. And then who's in Crouching Tiger? I'll let you IMDB that one. I can't believe you don't know. <laughs> Crouching, cr- is it Jackie Chan, is it? Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Alex, man. <laughs> He's not helping us here. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know any of the famous. <laughs> what was that your films. assumption? Why was that well, your assumption? Well, because he's one of the because he's one of the most famous. Well, well, because it's the action. It's the action. Don't, this it's isn't helping. This isn't helping. Uh, no, hold on a second. Hold on. He's one of the greatest action. He's one of the greatest action action like guys in history, and I'd be surprised if he didn't make it into the action. So uh, is Tom Cruise. Why didn't you see him? <laughs> I'm looking at the cast now. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm scared as what he's going to say now. He said he's seen the cast. <laughs> Go on, Alex. What were you going to say? No, I just, I, I don't, I don't know you any said of I've the cast. I've just seen the cast. Well, I'm, where's I'm Jet Li? <laughs> Alex, I think it's best you remove yourself from the call, don't you? <laughs> I think you're all overreacting. <laughs> that was that was a, a from a from a from a lad who watched the what was the TV series that um, that Jackie Chan was in with the Talismans? Jackie Chan Adventures. That yeah. was great. 
Yeah, yeah it was. from a kid who grew up watching that, I'm a big fan of him. So I'm, you know, I'm good. I, so I, I mean, don't you can slag still, him off as long his... as you're a fan. <laughs> I wasn't slagging him off. I don't know. Is he's he got Asian friends? <laughs> I'll bet he well, hasn't. I, I'll go with I'll go with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> You've got it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you uh, next week. Farewell, boys. Bon voyage. Sorry, chaps. Alex just hanging around. No, nope, there he is. Wow. Well, on that note, Oof. where do you go from there? Just have to respond. <laughs> do you want to start with the UFC and then go on to the boxing? Why not? All right. So, mentioned um, the UFC and some of the rivalries they have already. Um, in, if we take rivalries aside, I mean, just sheer dominance is the topic that we're going into today uh dana said during the press conference after uh, ufc 257 that look kamar does have the potential to be the go-to at welterweight regardless of uh, george st pierre's uh reign um the fight, I'd like to say, went largely as I said. I, I didn't see a way that Gilbert Burns could win. And then within 30 seconds, he dropped Usman. Yeah, you were worried, weren't you? Well, it was because it was the last leg of my acker. Yeah, so yeah, I, let exactly. it, I let it ride because I thought I'm pretty confident here. And 30 seconds in, I'm looking for my cash out. Um, tide turned pretty quickly and then obviously a very resounding finish. I guess the first answer to the question when you ask uh, is Kamara Usman the most dominant male in the sport today is to ask whether you consider Khabib retired or not yeah that's that's probably it isn't it um, yeah. is Khabib if retired we, and what's John Jones doing at the minute if, if we say Khabib is um, we go to John Jones because Khabib has come out and said he's retired regardless of what Dana keeps saying um, yeah exactly he said the fact that Khabib is answering his phone calls and agreeing to speak to him says he's not retired, even if he says he is. I mean, that's that's need, isn't it? Imagine this just just because a woman picks up the phone to you. Like, I think she's interested. I've got a feeling she's interested. Well, he hasn't even hidden that he does just want to make a Conor McGregor rematch as well, which Khabib has even less interest in. No, that's a tough sell right now as well, isn't it? So the UFC has Kamaru Usman as number five in the pound-for-pound rankings. So in terms of males, they have him behind Khabib, they have him behind John Jones, and they have him uh, behind Stipe. Mm. When you just look, um, if we were to compare him to them, John Jones was obviously the first one that you mentioned. He's not really looked dominant no. outside of beating Anthony Smith, who... As time goes on, that looks a more and more pathetic title challenge. For sure. So it's Johnny Walker, not here, Johnny Walker, Christ. <laughs> well, I just oh, saw we wish you had gone earlier. <laughs> uh, See that picture he uploaded? That was grim. Well, yeah, he, um, someone bought a cameo from him to complain about uh, him costing him money losing his last fight. <laughs> and he said, uh, you lost £10, I lost tens of thousands of pounds. Um, show that he's still in a cast and he says so uh, get yourself ready because I'm going to be ready to get back in the octagon soon and the first thing I'm going to do is kick your ass <laughs> in this bloke that had messaged him Blimey. John Jones looked 
touch and go against uh, Dominic Reyes, mm. Thiago Santos. And so he's not looked dominant for a fair while now. No, is is I've and you you know I've said I think he does look a little bit on the wane myself. I you know yeah. we'll probably see whenever he fights next, but we'll have a better idea. But I I personally think that. So at the minute, obviously Usman's at the peak of his powers. I just meant if you're going to talk over the course of his career, it's obviously yeah. difficult to exclude Jones out of for it. sure. But but uh, at the minute, who is the dominant guy is Usman, and part, as much as anything. Whenever he goes into a fight, like he did, the Burns is a really good fight, and yet you still, in your mind, you didn't think, oh, I don't see how the other guy's going to get this done. As has no. been well documented, Usman needs to make it boring. He's more than capable of making it boring and grind out the win, isn't he? He's beaten, he's beaten six of the top eight now in the division. The only guys he's not beaten are Michael Chiesa, who I don't think you pick to uh, have much trouble no. against a guy whose foundation is wrestling and isn't a fantastic striker. Um, and then you've got Wonderboy, who's probably yeah, the most Wonderboy interesting matchup. Get him in there. Well, my brother was messaging me, and he, he's turned into a Gilbert Burns fanboy in, uh, since beating Tyron Woodley, which I'm, I'm not too sure why. Um, <laughs> I like it. I, I, made, I made the fatal mistake where I had him ready to have a bet with me on Saturday's fight. And um, the the overconfidence put him off. Where he said, oh, "How much no. are we having?" And I gave him the look. However much you want, <laughs> I'll have the bet with you on it. And if I'd said like five or ten pounds, he probably would have gone for it. But you tilted him. Eventually, he was um, no, a bit skint at the moment. So uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll leave that one. So that was annoying. But I said to him, "I picked Wonderboy to beat Gilbert Burns." Okay, interesting. I'd pick most of the other guys in the top six to beat Gilbert Burns. Yeah. His kind of resurgence since uh, a kind of mediocre spell at lightweight was against a Tyron Woodley who's now lost 15 rounds consecutively. Yeah, I I think that win does flatter a little bit, doesn't it? Gunnar Nelson and uh, Demian Meyer, who he knocked out, who were well aware. I think we were picking Rory in a striking match against him. <laughs> um, I picked Colby Cummington against Gilbert Burns. Yeah, I picked Leon yeah, Edwards against Gilbert Burns. I'd probably pick Jorge Masvidal and Stephen Thompson against Gilbert Burns. So those are the ones there. But having beat six of the top eight, you, you wonder where the next challenge is coming from. Because if he does beat Wonderboy, Leon Edwards, you could argue that I think they fought in 2014 or something like that. Yeah. So there's at least that there. We need Leon Edwards to get a big fight. I mean, he's, he's somehow persecuted for COVID restricting his travel arrangements so he couldn't face Woodley, then catching COVID so he couldn't face Chimaev, and now Chimaev catching COVID and not being able to face him twice. And he's the guy who's held against... Well, he's not fought for ages... Yeah, yeah, you can't really catch a break, can you, Leon? Uh, Criticise Colby for having a fake shtick and then criticise Edwards for not having a personality. Yeah, 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 exactly. I um, do think probably, Covington probably is the best challenge for Usman. I yeah. still think, 
I think they look like they're going to try and sell the Mazadal fight again, which... Yeah. Uh, well, well no look, really I guess, guess they'll sell it on the fact that Burns buzzed him, so what would Mazadal do, I guess, is how they're going to package it. They're, they're in talks With a full to make count. the new tough season between those two. I I think... In that case, they're missing a the trick not doing it with Covington and Masvidal. I think that's a, a better sell for me. Well, I just think the story and Masvidal stuff is won't great. sign to face Colby. Won't sign to face Usman if you believe what no. Usman said either. So uh, even Dana saying that as as well, and all of the kind of people who you would trust, and I don't put Dana or uh, <laughs> Masvidal's management or Kamara's management in that, but the media members do quite frequently say that. Maswell has been offered a fair few number of fights. He was offered the Colby fight. He was offered the Leon Edwards fight. He's been offered the uh, Usman fight, and he's not really fancied any of them. Masvidal's problem is he's got too many options. He's kind of in the fighting equivalent of going on Netflix and just flicking through all the yeah. films and never actually settling on one. You think that, ironically, the the money fights for him are the ones that aren't up near the best of his division. Probably McGregor or running it back with Nate are probably all bigger quote-unquote money fights. I think Covington could be if they sold it right because that, yeah. that's a natural rivalry. But as you said, they didn't seem to have much interest in it. The way the UFC promoted Masvidal during that spell of him being one of the biggest sports stars in the world trending-wise at that time mm-hmm. is horrific. You look at Kamara Usman and his numbers that he does um, your first ever African born uh, UFC champion and the way they market him is just horrific they asked Dana about it at the press conference and he said well look I mean you've got to understand we do have a whole roster of guys to promote and it's like, you don't struggle to promote McGregor Khabib the, kind of promoted himself for the, the, the problem the problem is with it I don't know, I don't know about you but think about it recently is the UFC doesn't really promote that well. It just gives you the platform, and then it's yeah. right. It's, it's really all over to you. You've got to go and sell yourself. Because how many of these guys have really been made by the UFC? It's all they've all been guys who've had to do something themselves. You look at uh, McGregor's the obvious, but yeah, Masvidal, Adesanya, like Khabib. you said, Khabib. Those guys have all had to sort of do something a bit different and break the mold. Nate Diaz is obviously is kind of a separate entity all to himself. Yeah. No, none of that has been created by the UFC. What the UFC has done, it would be something like um, like John Jones should be a worldwide star. Yeah. So he should, and for whatever reason, it's just never quite landed. I know he's obviously not done himself some favours at times, but no. I think that's an example of how, in contrast, someone like Eddie Hearn can kind of make someone a star. Yeah. He, can, he can make someone you think, there is pretty little justification for you to be as known as you are, but he's kind of made you. I don't. Think, I think Daniel just said, "Right, here's the platform. Really, it's over to you. I'm not going to build." Part of it for him is he doesn't want him. To, he wants him to be big, but not too big, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've seen obviously the problem with McGregor of what can happen when someone kind of outgrows the business. There is a big problem because the last real big star was the Anthony Pettis on the Wheaties box, which you obviously <laughs> used to as being a thing back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah, was mainly off the back of his um, Showtime kick. That he did in WEC. So, yeah, they've, they've not done a great job there. With Usman, the other guys, I would say 
Israel is probably the two. When you ask this question now, Israel and Kamara would be the two guys who you would say are the two most dominant males. And they do have largely similar careers on paper in that. Uh, so Israel's beating four out of the top eight in the division at the moment. Um, largely dominant outside of one fight. And you could probably say uh, Usman's fight against Colby is probably the equivalent of Israel's against Gastelum. Yeah, true. The, the Yoel Romero fight is a black mark for Izzy, but at the same time... I think we can quite successfully you... stick that on Yoel, can't we, though? Yeah, yeah. It's, and they have done. They've done it quite well, of shifting responsibility onto him. So. And it's just a different way of doing it, isn't it? Because um, Usman's had great threats put in front of him before where he's gone, well, the greatest thing for me to do here is to take you down for five rounds and make sure you don't have a chance. Whereas Izzy was, if I can stand at range and kick you in the leg, then why do I need to get in close? Yeah, obviously the tricky thing for Usman being is Alessandra, as we've said, has kind of made himself into a star, but also his performances are normally great to watch. Whereas Usman has a reputation as being a bit boring, which, for example, the Covington fight would say he's not. But the last two have both been exciting, so it does show if, if he has the requisite dance partner, then he will. Yeah, also, yeah. His 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 move in training to go and train with um, some Whitman and his sparring with Gaethje must be something else. It must be insane. Yeah, and must... then on top of that, you've got such a high level of wrestling. You've already got this gas tank, which is just like in, inhuman. And then on top of that, you're giving crisp striking on top. Can I say it doesn't look like he's striking to get better fair. as well. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to have too much weakness there, does he? Well, the defense, if anything, seems to be the issue. And rather than the actual output, the output seems decent enough. Like his jab looked great, and he was sw- he was mm. switching um, southpaw and orthodox on Saturday night. I was going to say, I watched it back, and I noticed that. I was thinking, this is a. Uh... Different to what we've seen from him, really, in terms of how fluid it looked. He he was getting like not stunned, but he was getting buzzed a couple of times by Colby, wasn't he? Where you'd almost just freeze up for a second and then he'd be kind of back in business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His chin does look, if if you kind of believe the rumors and what you see on paper, it's meant to be otherworldly in that his conditioning probably plays a part, but yeah, for sure, he can take a shot. Because that one from Gilbert, early in the fight like that, flush on a button, mm. and then he wins the end of the round. Yeah, and he's hurting him, isn't he? Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah he's, he does look... Do you know the crazy thing with his rise is when you look back on... Uh, you look back on the pod we did before him and um, Woodley. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, us us having takes in age well is not new, but uh, <laughs> when you, uh, I remember you sat out the thing, and I quite like the style that like, we, we would often do this, where you go like, right, is anyone picking Usman? <laughs> yeah. Like, look, if anyone's got anything outlandish to say, just say it. And then you're like, right, so we're all in agreement, basically, he does everything Woodley does, just not quite as well. And we were yeah. all like, yeah, pretty well. <laughs> and then since then, he's obviously, like you said, gone on to be dominant. Well, we thought that Woodley was just doing some tremendous game planning by standing against the side of the octagon and not throwing. <laughs> and it turns out that he was actually just shot to bits for a while, but just had the perfect spell of opponents to make it work. Yeah. 
So it's not it's not ideal. I mean, if if you were put on the spot now and got asked who's the most dominant male, is it Kamara or is it Israel? Who would be the one that you would say? I would go with Kamara, and that's in an odd way, kind of a bit disrespectful to Izzy in terms of I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like there's a bit more sort of jeopardy with him. As I, for example, against Blahovic, I could see that Blahovic could get him out of there. Whereas Usman, I can't. I go into a fight and yeah, I just don't see him getting beat. And it's for whatever reason in my mind, like you said, whether it's his chin or, or whatever, I just don't see him having the problems that I think like on a bad day as he could have. Well, I said to Rory before the Gilbert Burns fight, I said to him that I just can't see Usman laid out, which obviously no. nearly looked ridiculous. But he's someone who I, I couldn't really see that with McGregor, to be fair. But I can't see Usman, like, flat out. No, we, we've said it about a few guys, haven't we? With, as, yeah. you, as you've acknowledged there, some mixed success there. Cause... Yeah. McGregor did kind of almost get ironed out. There's but, been uh, some clamour since for uh, Usman against uh, Adesanya, but you know you need to do with Google the, the two names, and they've already said, said they they'd never yeah. face each other. Yeah, they want fair. to um, headline an event in Africa, is what they want to do. Right, right, yeah. So that's that's never that's not going to happen. No. Um, and if you look at the way Usman reacted to an ex-teammate wanting to face him. <laughs> That's probably all Adesanya needs to see in terms of thinking, yeah, that's probably not for me either. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. See him screaming, take what from who, as as Burns is sobbing on the mat. Brutal. I felt bad when it was DC sobbing. I, I did strangely enjoy it when it was Burns, because <laughs> I, I just don't like him. Yeah, I'm getting the vibe that you don't like Gilbert Burns. It's It was the thing where he very much benefited from um, Woodley not being able to fight uh, Leon Edwards and so being in and so he got the opportunity to go in which he then did very much make the most of but then he was saying about well he's not fought in this much time and it's like well there's a reason for that you're very protective of Leon I like it well we, we don't have many guys that the Americans would call you a homer <laughs> what Darren Tiller I, I'm a bit hot and cold on like some days <laughs> I think you're hilarious and other days I think you actually I don't think you're as funny as people say you are like, I think I'm just being told you're funny at this point with some of it. <laughs> but with Leon Edwards it's like if he was American I just know that if he or if he was Russian then people would be saying everyone's ducking him this is this is insane yeah but because yeah, he's English right. that brummy accent just doesn't do it for people <laughs> The, the other name, obviously, that we haven't mentioned is Stipe in that mix. Um, so he's beaten two of the current top eight, which is a little harsh on him to say it like that because a lot of the guys that he's beat have either dropped down since he beat them or have retired. Hmm. Um, so the other guy, so he's obviously beat probably the toughest test in Ngannou, who is his next fight. Um, I don't know if you give him more points for turning it around against DC or you give him more of a black mark against him for the fact that he did lose in such devastating fashion. The other guys he's got there in that list, he's got Rosenstrike, he's got Derek Lewis, he's got Volkov over him who obviously beats, so sorry, he's beat two of the uh, top eight. 
And then he's got Cyril Garnet and uh, Shamil Abdurakimov. I don't know anyone in that mix outside of Nganu maybe that you're picking that's you know, to, to lose to. That's the problem, isn't it? Is the, the sort of the depth of that division is a uh, is pretty shallow. I think you get more points for the DC one because how you responded to that loss was impressive. Yeah. Just even then, it's not quite as dominant as Guzman uh, and. Um, Adesanya have been but at the same no. stage I don't think they fought a DC in their, in their go so it is very tough but I do think those are the top two and then Stipe would be in third Yeah if he goes out and does a similar job as he did the first time to Ngarni people will probably make it there will probably be a clamour for you know people aren't giving him his props so Yeah I can say now perhaps foolishly and I've thought this all along I am picking Ngarni for the rematch oh, He's yes. shown us Nothing different to what he did the first time around. I just, I think you can only get through that barrage once, um, and the second time you you might not be so lucky. Okay, interesting. Um, but if Khabib comes back, I assume we very quickly give him that mantle. I think we do. Yeah, I think we do. I think just the sheer amount of uh, wins. I think, but. I think he's the guy you've getting got. Getting that territory. I mean, you do still have Volkanovski in there as well, but he's just been unfortunate by. Since he's won the belt, then he's just fought Holloway. Yeah, and, and obviously a lot of people thought Holloway won the second one, and then Holloway went out and did what he did against Kater, yeah. and now he's kind of being more, talked about more than the champ. Yeah, because he's um, he's still unbeaten in the UFC, Volkanovski as well, so. It's not bad, interesting Kevin. to see him. He is 31, so... Need him to get a move on. He's got a... Uh, Rory's boy next, Brian Ortega, who just looked great. Mm, yeah. If we go on to uh, the boxing, so a good weekend of combat sports in terms of two cards that I thought would largely disappoint, so it does show why we do continue to tune in. <laughs> um if we start with the chief support, um, we had a 54-year-old Kiko Martinez coming over to face uh, a man who I don't think it's unfair to say is probably more, more widely recognised as being in the, in the back of Bugsy Malone's freestyle videos than he is for being a boxer in uh, <laughs> Zelfa Barrett. Um, it's the same for Lyndon Arthur, to be fair. So it's not even a dig at him. It's no, no, no. More for the maybe the personal job and Bugsy Malone, but. We get to the end of the fight. Um, we think it's been largely conclusive in the way of Kiko Martinez. Um, around the eighth or ninth round, the commentary starts to sway. And tells <laughs> They're us grooming that, us for what's going to happen. Yeah, they tell us that Zelfa's coming back into it, despite the fact that while he may have been doing better than the previous rounds, he wasn't doing a whole lot more. And they start saying, and suddenly... Everyone at ringside has a scorecard saying it's a draw or maybe could have gone either way, which is the classic. Um, you start hearing the word subjective said a lot. You start being told about the cleaner work. Depends what you like. The cleaner work's always a funny one because if someone is landing more, then they are hitting you cleanly more than you are hitting them. Mm. So it's, it's a strange one. I mean, 
trust as you like the uh, the the punch the punch stats. Um, Kiko outlanded Zelfa in ten out of twelve rounds. Um, nearly doubled him up in power shots. Landed one hundred and forty four to seventy seven. Um, he had one hundred and twelve to forty three edge in body shots, and yet on two judges' scorecards they awarded him two rounds, and then the other one, what did he get? Five rounds, yeah, four or five. So, regardless of how well he did that night, he wasn't walking away. And it's not the first time he's been hard done by because he was hard done by when he faced Josh Warrington as well um, in a British ring. So, essentially, I think as uh, Eddie Hearn referenced, and I know he's had a lot of plaudits for how he handled it, but I'm, I'm not so sure. That isn't just because it suits him a bit better this time around. For sure. I was watching um, thinking, yeah. So the, the things there of him saying, look, he may as well have boxed on the back foot all night, not risk being punched so much and uh, had an easier go. And he could have this time around because the scorecards were, were done from the start. Yeah, and we were obviously messaging during the final. So once I heard... Even knowing how bad our scorecards can be, once I heard that they were one-sided, I thought, well, this c- it can only really be for Kiko. As much as <laughs> people have said it can go one way or the other, if there's a round in or whatever, maybe you could see it. But the fact that it's so one-sided, I thought, well, there can only be one winner then. And, uh, yeah, just bearing in mind, we're obviously not the, the fighter going in there who's travelled abroad and come here. We no. feel pretty disheartened, so God knows what it must be like for him. Well, apparently in all the interviews all week, he actually said to the media, look, I'm not worried about the judges. Um, I'm pretty sure they'll give me a fair shake, even after the Warrington uh, shenanigans. I kept Tricky hearing... One, isn't it? Because they have to. Uh, said there, um, like the, it, maybe if there was a round in it, I didn't even think it could have been that close. Like There was obviously rounds no, where Zelfa was landing clean shots, but it was largely like one shot for every three or four. And there's only so much you can award. Like if you, if you land one big shot in a round where not much happens, then I can maybe see it. But in a fight where you're landing maybe one decent enough shot and then being outlanded by about what, yeah, what we're saying here about 20 power punches that round it's very hard to fathom. Agreed, and I think they mistake sometimes the cleaner work with sort of like, well, they seem to have to simplify everything to sort of boxer versus brawler, where often, yeah. as you've kind of just touched on, the brawler is landing just as much stuff. Okay, it doesn't look quite as pretty, but if he's landing clean shots plus more volume, then he has to, he's going to have to win the round, isn't it? You know, Floyd was winning fights because he was landing nice clean work and the stopping the other guy landing much yeah. at all and the other guy was just landing arm punch just swinging and not doing a lot whereas Kiko wasn't doing that much that was going to waste either he was kind of no. tended to land and each round seemed to follow the same pattern of doing that as well it wasn't like there was you know he, he didn't build into it or he didn't fade it seemed to be the whole way through it was the same sort of pattern I saw um, I think it was on Dave Allen's uh, Instagram story and he pointed out and he said the way that it's being spoken about kind of acts as if what Kiko's doing like is easy to do just because yeah, they're saying yeah. like the nicer work where he was like, 
what he's doing is incredibly hard to do, let alone at, what's he, like 34 years old? Mm. Probably older than that. To do that for 12 rounds is ridiculously difficult. So to then take that away from him. And a point Eddie Hearn made, and it's something that I have always thought, and he said, look, it's not corruption. If it's corruption, you do it by one round and you'd say, well, look, fair enough. Um, there's an argument there. You wouldn't do it by eight or nine rounds, but it's it's strange when uh, several people have said this. Not one person outside of those two had that scorecard. Like you wouldn't find what you wouldn't find the biggest Zelfa Barrett fan. No, that would say he won that one eighteen one ten. And I follow a lot of guys who are big on Zelfa Barrett because when I started writing for British boxers. They're big in the Manchester scene and they're mates with Pat Barrett. And so I saw as much pro Zelfa stuff as I was going to see. And they were all like, look, not his night. He's lost before. He's learned a lot in there. He can come again. There was not even any talk of maybe he can nick this. No, no, not at all. And it, Herm was only so uh, kind of straight up because one, He's maybe worried about what is going to get said in the build-up to next week with Josh Kelly, because if you're expecting a dodgy scorecard in one, that was probably the one you can expect it in. And yeah, it'd be interesting to the, see if he's outraged if Avenisian gets robbed next week. Yeah. <laughs> I did think and that the, was Zelf. I thought he's a fairly new Hearn fighter. Would he be, if this was one of his uh, more uh, prized assets, would he be going quite as hard in the pain? I'm not sure he would. Well, he said straight away, didn't he? He said, look, we can do the rematch. That's actually, we take that to Manchester. That's a really big fight. I thought, okay, well, we can see the spin here then. <laughs> he, he even said, he said, uh, look, I mean, these cards and the result, he said, I think the Ritson one was worse in terms of the cards there. And so, well, you weren't making this fuss and saying, look, no guys are going to want to come over here anymore. When you look at uh, what's happened with these with these cards here. It was none of that then. I was going to say, what did he actually say about the Ritson once? He was like, look, I don't really understand it, but I think maybe there's an argument when you look at only one guy who's pressing forward that you can maybe see why some judges would say that. I thought it was a close one that could on either way, but the scorecards were too wide. I One of the good things about this, I felt, was that at least there was two judges who had an absolute shocker. Whereas, because generally what they do is they do, so one, one. is terrible yeah. and then two are slightly less terrible. So they have the wrong winner, but it's only by a round or two. So they say, well, I can make an argument for that, which as you've kind of touched on, rarely can you actually make an argument for it. People can spin it enough. Floyd Canelo. But, yeah. And then, then <laughs> they just say the one is obviously a, a total disgrace. And then he gets forgotten. Well, they try and make sure that's forgotten about. At least with this occasion, in theory, at least, it shouldn't be forgotten because there's two of them, but I'm sure it will be. As as I kind of said on the night, Robert Smith will file that away along with the rest of yeah. them, won't he? Same issue, isn't it? We're still going to tune in next week regardless. Yeah, and to be honest, we shouldn't have to turn away for no, 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 the judges sure. to get it right. It doesn't seem an overly difficult job to, to do, does it? No. All this good stuff Daniel Kinahan's doing for boxing. If only he could sort out these scorecards. <laughs> well, 
uh, one of the, I think it was the editor of uh, the Boxing News tweeted saying, uh, it's a shame that Josh Warrington's got to come on after this because nothing he can do is going to be able to take away from all the talk of what's just happened in the chief support. Sounds like he was wrong. Yeah, and little did we know that this Mexican banger was coming in there. Mm. Didn't have the faster defeat. I uh, I messaged you beforehand because I don't think either of us are the type where we're going to lie and said, look, we've seen him on a Mexican small hall show. <laughs> I saw a couple of guys who do their research and they said, look, this guy's even worse than you can imagine. <laughs> they said his feet are as slow as you'll ever see, which they were. <laughs> they were. His hands were slow as well. I thought, I yeah. thought you, he didn't have like, as much as you could obviously buy. He wasn't quick. Um, also, don't want to give the promoters too much of a pat on the back because for all of the times that they say, look, we knew this guy was good. The next 10 South Americans that come over are going to get bowled over and around. <laughs> for sure. They told us the same stuff about that fella that um, Connor Ben just fought. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Look, we've seen this guy. He's going to give him a real test. Just so happens that this one could punch and Josh Warrington came in precisely doing what, what suited him. In the first round, he got clipped. Um, me and Rory were on under seven and a half rounds. We're getting a bit excitable. <laughs> you but you clearly had the better sense of judgment. Put your money on uh, Lara to win and Lara to win by knockout. Mm. Got yourself close to, well, I won't say, uh, talk on your bank balance. You got a nice, you got a nice back, you got a nice amount back. Certainly was a winning bet for a nice change. The drought is over, <laughs> and it was an emphatic turn. Quite fitting that that's the way that it happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was needed that it was a, it was a good upset. I didn't just need a regular win. A nice, a good win was much needed. And then back to normal. Yeah, yeah. Then back to trying to back <laughs> football again and watching Man United not be able to beat West Brom. That was more like it. Yes, there was a couple of talking points really that were brought up from this fight. The first one being what was up with Josh Warrington? I mean, the commentators used just about every excuse in the book. At at one point, they were touting the fact that he had two daughters as being a reason (laughs) as to why why maybe this didn't go his way. And we've seen that before. I mean, we both text each other when we hear family man get said, as, as seems to be the case. That, that increases your boxing ability until it goes against you and then it's then it's a negative but there was no real praise for Lara was there until after the fact when really he was just in Warrington's face made it uncomfortable for him and Warrington helped him on the way to make it a bit less comfortable for him too yeah and as ever with these things I think we sometimes uh, wow the the Sky team soon do overanalyze sort of the fighter and say, well, there's just something wrong with him. I thought Warrington looked fairly like he did normally. He yeah. got caught with a shot early on. And, and if, you know, they were saying, oh, he's fighting concussed. Well, yeah, if you're fighting with a Mexican banger like that, you probably were. And it's, well, I, remember, I mean, he should have got pulled out after the fourth shoot, yeah. even by the ref and by his team. And his legs were just never recovered. So everything that happens after that point, you can kind of account for really pretty clearly. Well, I remember one of his first kind of prime time um, 
main event slots on Sky was against that uh, Japanese fella for like a WBC intercontinental belt yes. or something where he fought the exact same way for 12 rounds, but the bloke that hit him back was was fisted like Pauly, which is how Warrington is similarly. I think those Frampton uh, comments after his fight might have gassed him up a bit where he said, look, he punches a lot harder than uh, <laughs> than you think. When clearly that isn't quite the case because as much as this guy wasn't a world beater, I wasn't really giving Warrington too much of a puncher's chance. It was going to be he was going to have to catch him a one and then land another five, six, seven after rather than, to quote the phrase we get a lot, every time he hit Warrington, he stayed hit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think with Warrington, it's the, even with the Frampton one, it was early in the fight. I think he can just overwhelm you with intensity. And obviously, if you're buzzed and you, you can't really do that. That's what he did with Frampton, wasn't it? Yeah, that's exactly. And he can kind of shock you, whereas he could never get going against this guy. And one of the excuses that was used, and I do think with him is probably fairly legitimate, is uh, the lack of a crowd. Kind of that is all part of his energy to overwhelm you, is that he's got these lads sort of uh, screaming for him. I imagine it must have effect on how you're fighting when uh, when you're taking that away from him. Well, he was he was pumping up his fists at an empty arena, wasn't he? When he came out, yeah, yeah, which kind of suggests he's trying to trying to get um, amped up, isn't it? Spare a thought for Rob Burrow, who Warrington said he was doing it for. <laughs> All right, he didn't need that, did he? <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh... he's very very odd. I mean, Warrington, they clearly said they needed to get him out, which I can see is the case. The matchmakers have tried their, their best to kind of give him someone he's going to look good against, which I imagine if you've seen the clips the other guys have seen and you do see a slow-footed Mexican, you can always build up the Mexican angle, say, look, he's going to be in there, go out on his shield. And then it, it, it just backfired. And four rounds in, he gets dropped quite, well, very heavy. Mm. Me and Rory are counting our money as we've just added it in to try and boost up our, our UFC hacker. <laughs> um, and then inexplicably, inexplicably, he's all over the shop, but the ref waves him on. When usually Howard Foster, of all people, which is what makes it worse. Yeah, so in the room, that. It was Brian Rose, wasn't it, where he quite literally tripped after getting up and against um, Carson Jones, and they waved it off. No, that was um, in John Lewis, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're getting shit, but... shit refs uh, muddled up. <laughs> so it doesn't take much in a British ring, usually. No. And obviously Howard Foster was, was the George Groves one, obviously. Yeah, so. yeah. And I know um, Boxing Social, who... I mean, they're the only really ones I go to for interviews these days. Mm-hmm. Um, the lad they had on this week I can't think of his name but he was very good actually with his questions that he was asking Hearn all week and uh, he asked Hearn and he said if that was Lara that got knocked down like that are you telling me you think Howard Foster lets him carry on and Hearn said no he, he said I think Howard Foster he knows Josh Warrington shouldn't matter he said he no. knows that he's the number one ranked um Featherweight in the world shouldn't matter. <laughs> and uh, 
he knows that he's got to give him a chance to try and get himself out of that hole, which also shouldn't matter. And all three of those things probably are true as to why he's letting him carry on. Yeah, yeah, he was absolutely right. Um, and I, I don't even necessarily think that that's obviously it suits that it's the home fighter and it's an English thing. But I don't even necessarily know that it's solely based on that. If we had, say, an American fighting over here, for example, who was the more established name, it's it's referees buying into the hype and knowing the magnitude of what's on offer. When in reality, like you said, it should just be treated in isolation. It's two, you know, insert blank names are fighting referee accordingly. Because he, yeah, he would a hundred percent have waved that off if Lara got buzzed like that. Well, there was ones where, and this isn't the best example, but um, the the Reese Mould one, he went down heavy twice, but it was. It was no heavier than Warrington went down. And the second time he went down, the ref patted him on the back, didn't he? And said, look, you don't need to... That's mm. it. You don't. I don't need to see anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was, it's very frustrating. It's... In a similar manner was with the, with the commentary as well, where there's no real consistency on it to, to suit our own means. Because, the, for example, in the commentary, when they say, like, it depends what you like, the problem is, with our judging, we've kind of done it both ways, where we go for the guy yeah. who barely throws a punch yeah. but lands the cleaner work, quote-unquote, or we've gone for the guy who's landed the volume and he's just been scruffy and not landed anything clean, but just done or it work right alone. And, is, and Zelfa is the polar opposites and polar opposite exactly, scorecards. Exactly that. And, and we've you know we found a way to justify each time. It's the same with the, with the refereeing, where if it's our own guy, we'll happily see the ref... Yeah, we'll happily cheer on a premature stoppage if it's the away guy, but if it's the home one, we'll yeah. sort of let him go on far longer than he should have. And the one of the, I know you tuned off the uh, the broadcast by this point. Yeah. But one of the few uh, good points John Nelson was making, he was writing about that. He was saying like the ref would have called it off, and they had a big thing about Warrington's safety, which I thought was interesting. I thought a lot of the time they don't tend to talk about. They were saying no. they should go to the hospital straight away, and they don't tend to talk about that. But uh, yeah, and obviously Booth was on there as well, and he was saying that he felt. I he had no idea why the trainer didn't pull him. He said, I'm, if I was in that situation, I'd feel I had to pull him. Which they say, don't they, like, it's his daddy knows best, when usually they're the ones that are more brutal. The, far, the like, father-son trainers. <laughs> it does seem to be, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, with that as well, I don't know how much of a bearing it has, but Howard Foster went straight from turning a 118-110 scorecard in the chief support to being referee Oh, Jesus. In the main, where... That's a bad night. Yeah. And I know we're in a situation where you've got as as little people in there as possible, but you've got to think, even if you need a select group of officials, you should surely be having a bit of time between, because he's supposed to be giving the chat in the dressing room and all sorts, isn't he, saying, this is what I expect, and this is what I'm going to call low, and making sure they're comfortable and feel safe in there with him yeah. as much as possible. And I, I'm sure it's probably um, say a bit of a, a bubble at the time, but I'm sure he's probably aware that he's just handed in a controversial scorecard yeah. and he's probably thinking he's going to be getting some heat for this. So is he going into that fight in the right f- sort of frame of mind? And- I know you spoke about it last week as well and, and in your uh, latest article. I did see several tweets saying uh, worst officials in the world <laughs> now the uh, the boxing one, I think we could definitely lay claim to as well. <laughs> as, as we've said, you know, whenever 
uh, a, a trainer or a fan base talks about uh, going to Vegas, going to Germany and, and needing a knockout to get a draw or whatever. You think we sacrificed our right to say that a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Similar situation actually with the football referees though, where in a way we, we kind of shouldn't know the rest by name. That normally means no. they've done something wrong. And we've also got a, a small pool of about five of them. Because yeah. we, we know fucking all of them. And one of the ones, um, the other ones who landed in the poor scorecard, well, I think was Steve Gray, who I'd probably say is probably, to note, probably the best British referee that I've seen. And he's still got a couple of shockers on his CV as well. We need to buy a nice big house uh, in the countryside for my man Jack Reese. And just get him <laughs> refing every event. Now, he still would have let Warren and carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd, he'd be good. Yeah, You're going on your shield, boy. Yeah. Um, the talk will obviously be an immediate rematch for Warrington. Do you think that's the right move? I think he probably has to. Yeah. Yeah, and he's stuck, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think. As much as I don't like to give him excuse, I'm sure, as you've touched on, he's probably seen what he's seen of this guy and what he's been told of this guy. I'm not saying he hasn't trained hard or tried or hit the right numbers, whatever. I'm sure he has. But mentally, it must be a hard thing to switch on where you think you've got a hard night's work and an easier night's work. I think yeah. we saw a similar thing with McGregor and Poirier, even. I think, Conor, not saying that Connor didn't train, didn't think he was in for a, a difficult fight, but did he think he was in for that? I, I don't think he did. So it, it must be hard to shift gears, and, and in the rematch, you would think he will uh, he will prepare accordingly. But at the same time, do think, it doesn't change about this bloke can still bang. Do you think we'll see one of them where it's um, arranged on about three weeks' notice and added to a pay per view or something? Or maybe uh, maybe the Mexican does the uh, a lightweight version of the Andy Ruiz and just enjoys the success. <laughs> <laughs> He the interviews with him after he looked pretty level headed. He was like, I'm the number one guy now. But he certainly looked like yeah, he expected this to happen, didn't he? Which he obviously knew something that all of us didn't. Uh, the the thing with that is as well is, and I've complained about this before. Our kind of it's slightly different, I guess, with a belt. But our assistants that whenever our guy gets beat, that he has to have an immediate rematch. But if we yeah. beat their guy, he never gets one. Is always the Perfecting ones have been annoying me still. Incredible, isn't it? It's slightly different with Warrington because he was an established world champion, so I, I think he deserves that. But uh, just as a wider point, I guess. And the, our kind of thing is that we're rewarding. So, for example, they're saying, "Well, we can run it back with Kiko and Zelfa." Like we're rewarding Kiko Martinez. Like, well, there you go. You yeah. can have another chance at it. So, well, it, this should have been his night. You shouldn't need another one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Someone said that Hearn already had a deal in place to sign that Lara if he won as well. So I'm, I'm absolutely sure he did. <laughs> I saw Maritza won it. He had that one fight on his card and he was like, right, <laughs> off the avenue then. Yeah, I mean, that really fell in Hearn's lap, didn't it? It was up in, up yeah. in the northeast. He saw the crowd and thought, oh, well, this guy can bang and people are cheering him. All, yeah. all I need, really. All right. I think that should just about do us for today. So. Unless you've got anything else to say? I don't think so. All right, well, Chelsea's still nil-nil. I've seen Abraham hit the deck about six times. <laughs> so nothing new there. And uh, West Ham, I've gone above Liverpool in the table, so you might want to stay off Twitter. Stay off Twitter for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thanks to everyone for tuning in for another episode of Spitballing Pod. We'll be back Friday with another episode of Movie Madness, and we'll be back next Monday 
with another episode here. Goodbye.